This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office here in WeWork London. My name is David Breer, and I'm back on the show once again, and I'm joined this week as pretty much every time I'm on the show, actually. Nigel, you're here as well. I'm a permanent fixture. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm I'm back. I'm all well. Looking forward to Christmas. Hurtling towards it at pace. It is. It's quite scary, isn't it? I don't, like, genuinely, I'm not entirely sure where the year has gone. It's quite sort of worrying. I haven't actually done any Christmas shopping yet either. Have I'm you? sure Sarah's done Christmas shopping for you guys. I don't know. Um, we'll see. There <laughs> are a lot of Amazon boxes, but we'll figure out what happens next. That's not the Christmas shopping. That's just the weekly Amazon. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. Well, this week, as always, we're joined by some fantastic guests. So this week we have Adele Ryan, a partner at JLT. How's it going? Yeah. Hey, all good. Thank you. Uh, first time on a podcast? Yes. Yeah. How are you Not- feeling? Like, you feeling confident? You feeling pumped? I am less nervous than James. Okay. Well, let's come to James then. So <laughs> next we have James Burrows, who Hello. is also a partner at JLT. How's it going? Very good. Thank you. Um, first time on the show, first time on any podcast, but maybe if we get into it first, like, tell us a little bit more about JLT. Okay, so JLT, we're a specialty broker, and uh, James and I work in the sports, media, and entertainment uh, side of the business. So our clients um, do major events, music, uh, make commercials, do TV content, you name it, we do the sexy side of insurance. If there is a sexy side of insurance. I love this already. Insurance is definitely sexy, I tell everyone, uh, and you guys have just proved it. So should we wrap it up there? Is that a good place to stop? Uh, yeah, I think we have a title for the podcast, if nothing else, <laughs> which is good. I literally saw producer Laura write that down right then, which is which is nice. Um, and, and obviously super duper relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. So on today's show, we want to focus on the contingency insurance and particularly on the sexy stuff, as you referred to it, in terms of actually what happens within the entertainment world, because there's many different things and many any different pre sort of conceptions of what happens in the media or, you know, JLo insuring a bum or whatever, like all of these things that kind of went through. And we're going to sort of dispel a few of these rumors and actually go see where we are. Um, the entertainment industry faces, I guess, growing risks and exposures in this space. You know, we've seen various different things happening, either from a, a weather or a failure perspective. Um, public liability is one of these things that's probably getting much and much more attention in different events that's going on. So with all of this uncertainty, it feels like probably a good time to be doing what you guys are doing right yeah i think that's a fair comment yeah the the landscape is is constantly shifting from our perspective so you, you see emerging threats um like the cyber threat um or you see sort of constantly evolving threats um so terrorism is a good example of a, a very cheery christmas um subject matter but a, but a constantly evolving threat effectively um and, and having to address and keep up with these issues is a challenge that we face as an industry hmm. so so how does this break down then so i guess you know, the, the the narrative around this insurance, it feels like there's a few different categories. So in front of us, we've got death and disgrace, which sounds reasonably terrifying and probably, you know, one of them are a lot worse than the other, I guess, depending on your perspective on life. Um, live events, sports and sponsorship and prize indemnity. Do you want to talk us through a little bit about what these actually are? Sure. Um, so on the death and disgrace, that's something that's traditionally bought by advertisers linked to major TV campaigns. So 
a major brand will hire a superstar and have that superstar as the name, the voice uh, and face of their campaign. And often they'll buy something called death and disgrace so that if in this very short period the campaign runs, they can protect their investment should the artist uh, do or say something that perhaps um, doesn't work with the brand's idea. So this is brand protection at its best possible way, is it? It is, yeah. And it's uh, easy to do. It's really, really simple. And interestingly enough, you would think that the the stars, I mean, pick a star and um, tell me who you think is easy to insure. So a Kylie Minogue versus a Kanye West. Well, interestingly, um, Kylie's probably a bigger risk because she's super cool, um, super polite. There you isn't had me anything. Kylie, sorry, say again. I love Kylie. <laughs> you and me both. But she's, she's probably deemed a bigger risk because it wouldn't take her to do much for it to be out of character, whereas Kanye West is... Well, so you're saying the more edgy you are, i.e. Kanye or Kardashians or whatever else there is, yeah. you expect them to be wacky, therefore, so what if they do something a bit off the cuff? I definitely wouldn't say the Kardashians are edgy, but um, I would say I would say that if you go with a, a character that's got a certain type of behaviour, you're also buying into that behaviour. Sure. So with it comes that risk. So Elton John, tantrums and tiaras, right? Yeah. Definitely. And certain brands will seek to align themselves with the bad boy or the bad girl. So it's almost like they want to see an exhibition of, of bad behaviour. So to, to Adele's point, it's kind of those those types of individuals, if the expectation's there, that doesn't necessarily negatively mm. impact your investment in that individual. Wow, the it, more concerning exposure is the is the goody two-shoes. It, I'm sorry, Kylie, for calling you a goody two-shoes, but that's the more concerning exposure because you've engaged with them for a reason. You know, you want them to... squeaky you want those, image. Those, those, those yeah. values and that image to be to be what you put, put in front of the consumer effectively. So something going wrong there or an expose is potentially much more damaging. So, so Kylie would be a higher premium than Kanye? Like, is this the only insurance where being bad is better for your premium then? Well, I... I uh, not bad, necessarily bad, the case. I mean, it, kind of, it, it, it depends on the specific circumstance right. without wanting to give a very insurance broker style answer. Yeah. But it, it does depend on the on the circumstance and, and what the brand is is looking to achieve. Mm. And, I, and I guess, you know, this is like, you know, not, I'm not going to carry Kylie all the way through this type of thing. But I'm OK with that as well. Over just, the course of her career, technology has obviously changed in terms of the, the level of engagement in this space. So, yeah, I guess the amount of scrutiny that celebrities are under will change the way, that, you know, the hypersensitivity of social media might mean that this is a much more of a problem than it ever has been, right? Yeah, a problem, a, a problem can very quickly escalate in the way that it couldn't 20 or 30 years ago. And yeah. we've seen countless examples of that over the course of the last few years. So well, let's jump out of Kylie for a minute in terms of um, different top or different sports stars. You look at people like Nike, who've had a whole host of things that are going on recently. Uh, was it Colin Kilpatrick that was down and won this? So you've got you've got issues around death, disgrace, I guess. But then you've got political issues and a whole host of other things as well that will fall into this. Yeah, I mean, how the, do they get taken into account? The the Colin Kaepernick one is is fascinating. Um, I mean, what you've got there is a brand who've effectively engaged a, a brand who usually look for guys who are competing at the top of their game on the field who've engaged with a guy who isn't even on the field mm. at the moment, effectively. So he's he's driving a message that they want to be associated with, effectively. So that's probably the most fascinating example of, of what we see. It, it doesn't necessarily mean as much 
from our perspective in terms of there's not a there's not a measurable financial exposure because they've engaged with somebody who's already put himself out there and said that's what that's I who for. I am and yep. that's and, and that's what I stand for effectively what would have been interesting is if if Colin Kaepernick was engaged with a brand for whom that's not a message they would have wanted to be engaged with when he took the knee, then that would have been more relevant to the types of scenario that mm. we find ourselves. So, yeah. so is there an off-the-shelf package stuff? I've come to York, I can go and get a off-the-shelf, like I would, and we'll come back to this later on, but, uh, you know, a comparison site style, I want death and disgrace, I peek in my few bits of information, or is it customised per situation? It's- it- it's customised per situation, yeah. effectively. Yeah. So that there is no, certainly, there's no product there. So the way in which we engage with a with a brand or with a sponsor is is tell us about what's you know what's keeping. It's a cliche, but what's keeping you awake at night? What's concerning you about this deal? And then we build the product from there with with insurers. Yeah, and it's it's our job to work with the brand and then understand the brand and and be able to articulate what they consider their exposure is to the market and be able to. Um, come back to them with the certainty that should something go wrong, the policy is going to respond as they would expect it to. Because not every time an artist um, or a, um, an, an athlete is a brand ambassador, if when things go wrong, it doesn't always result in a claim. So if you look at um, a Maria Sharapova, she was brand ambassador to several different brands. And around the doping scale, some made the decision to keep her on and some made the mm. decision not to. And um, there's no telling whether those contracts were insured or not um, but the ones that had to walk away from the the contract would have lost that investment mm. uh, so how widely spread is this then is this a commonly held insurance in this space because uh, like I've never thought about it in this way but actually it changes the way in which the brand will deal with that problem right because you you know all of these things are about investments nobody nobody at those companies were just like well I like tennis therefore like you know Maria Sharapova seems like a good deal where whereas actually they were doing it they were doing it for (laughs) okay I have been at some companies where that has happened but um but actually being in the situation where they saw it as an investment they're not going to recover that investment therefore the insurance is is mitigating that investment in terms of what they were doing so it becomes much more of a less of a moral debate, more of a financial business decision, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think we only have to look at what's going on in Hollywood, for example, with this whole Me Too. So um, traditional TV insurance has been designed to ensure the making of. It's very, um, it's not very usual for it to ensure it once it's been made Mm. and whether it's a success or not or whether it can be used. And we've seen um, uh, content after content either end up on the editing floor or had to have some serious re-editing with new cast because of what's gone on with the uh, Me Too campaign. And a lot of those were moral decisions. Um, Some of them are yet to be proven... I'm trying to think of the movie where the guy was taken, was Kevin Spacey was taken out of a movie and someone else was put in in place of him. I can't think of the movie, but it was a great movie. Mm. Many of them. But uh, like, how does that work in that context, though? Because essentially risk is only ever as good as the data that you've got to to assess it, essentially. And not many people are going to go... Yeah, like I've, you know, been a bit of a sex pest for the last 10 years, like, you know, going to fess up to this one now for this premium type thing. Like, do you know what I mean? It's Yeah, I think that's so uh, often when a brand or an artist is insured, they won't be aware yeah. that they're insured. Yeah. Um, so if I'm investing 100 million with a series of essential cast, 
I most likely would make the decision that I'm going to protect that investment. And money's coming from different places. It's not always traditional broadcasters. So the the people who are investing in it in different ways want to see a return. And the, for it to go on air, it, it, it needs to be protected. Yeah. It's funny, ben, ben Affleck was in the insurance press in the UK around... Uh, and he's had some issues with alcohol recently and, you know, hope he just gets better and everything else. But he was in the press recently about he's probably uninsurable going forward for completion insurance because he's not sure if he'll actually make it to the end of a film. Is that the same sort of thing that fits into this sort of category or is that totally different again? Uh, I think um, so. Non-appearance is um, right. something that is also contingency insurance. So um, I think anyone who's got diva-like behavior or um, a known addiction—I'm being pointed at now for <laughs> not by me. I hate diva. Um, nothing else. Just for the record, just diva. Diva insurance, disgrace insurance. Like Laura, make a note. <laughs> It used to be called Key Man. I think it's just going to call it Diva from now on. I'm fine with that. It's fine. So there's something called Beyond the Control, and then there's something called the Insurance Control. So if you th- take the music industry, for example, promoters will put on a major gig around one artist. Mm. And I'm back to Kanye, but there was that particular uh, yeah. event where he went on stage and then went a little crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a technical term. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And uh, was marched all stage. Mm. So the, is that within his control potentially? Or who took the decision to take him off the stage and therefore as a result at what point does the policy pick up? Was it his people or someone else's people? I think so in contingency grey is uh, we often say a good thing um, and rather than a black or white um, so because it's designed to do all risks so I think in a case like that you've got to establish is it beyond the insured's control or has the the insured the promoter bought something mm. called beyond their control yeah. and for a beyond their control the promoter would get the very best in mm. terms of cover so that no matter what the artist does or doesn't do they're protecting their investment which is huge because they put most of it into it well and and i guess this sort of strays into the live event side of things as well and i and i guess this sort of almost changes the context of how those events are put together right so at the point where you're creating a play you know a playlist you're creating the the show in terms of which people run through if people don't fulfill their part of the bargain like kanye going mental on stage then actually that that changes that what you're buying, right? You know, it makes that transaction the contract of you're going to sing these songs, do these things, act in this certain way, and we will pay you this amount of money. It, it For me, it actually makes the whole thing a lot more transparent, really. You know, it sets out what people's expectations are. And if you don't fulfill them or you go mental on stage, then actually there's more of a clean repercussion for that, you know? Yeah, I, and but I think for the music industry, it's a really difficult one because the insurers behind that have done everything they can to uh, stay in the game, to um, provide policies that are very clear and designed to respond. But it's quite a difficult one when you've got to establish the cause of the loss and it's not always straightforward. So whilst you would hope that promoters can protect their costs yep. by having something called beyond the control, that's probably going to come less likely as more artists, you know, are the main yeah, attraction. Yeah. Yeah. And d- does one carrier normally carry the entire risk or do you spread it across? It's spread. No, it's spread. Right. So you, so you wouldn't take everything for a single event. You'd have multiple people... Um, taking different coverages for different things. So one would do um, beyond the control, one would do uh, accident or whatever else it might be and, what, and what's not. 
Yeah, I mean, usually use usually it would be under under one placement, and, and right. what dictates the number of participating insurers is the is the size of the of the sum that's actually being yeah. insured. So they'll, they'll take a, a proportion of the the risk and the exposure. I thought the the comment you made about Ben Affleck was a really interesting one. If you relate that back to the to the live music space, then what you're seeing are a couple of emerging trends in terms of the I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the end of this type scenario. So you're getting artists who aren't making money from album sales anymore or from single sales who are almost constantly participating in a world tour on a pretty punishing schedule. Right, so okay. from that perspective, there's a there's an elevated exposure if you're a promoter or a venue in terms of are they actually gonna? Are they gonna make it to us? Are they? Or are they gonna suffer from ill I've health? I've booked Elton John for two years now. I'm now worried. And, and then you, and there you go. So the, the second one is the Elton John piece, isn't it? Because people are touring for not just for longer, but people are touring for longer in terms of their life as well. So you have acts now who are coming back, who are going out on tour in their seventies, late sixties, Rolling, Rolling Stones, <laughs> Elton John, whoever it might be. Well, yeah, it, it's a simple fact of life that the older you get, the harder it is to do those sorts of things. So again, that creates an elevated exposure. So there's a couple of really interesting trends in the live music space, which you then overlay with the insurance piece, and you say, well, the, the need for this is is increasing exponentially. It's funny, because Elton John, so we, we booked tickets, my wife booked tickets, I'm a huge Elton John fan, can't wait for two years out, as well as Kylie, so there's there's my two. But he cancelled a show a couple of weeks back, because he had an ear in invention. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, this guy's got a 600-day, two- or three-year uh, touring schedule for his last goodbye tour. And if I miss one of those, I'm going to be devastated. But how do you then cope with the, I've got an earache and I'm not going to put another show on? Is it, just, is it literally a simple black and white rather than shades of grey? We're just going to pay out to those people or rebook them or whatever else it is. I think most most major tours will have a deductible and the deductible will be influenced by how many dates they're going to do, what the breaks are like between some of the dates, how many countries they're going to be in. So a lot of the time, particularly on big megastars like Elton John, the promoter is going to take uh, or going to carry quite a large deductible. Mm. And then I think with the... I mean, James, you mentioned some of the older stars, but actually if you compare... I'm not going to mention Kanye again, but if you, if you think, I think of the you've stated a preference of music <laughs> now. So. Um, it, but if you think of the Rolling Stones, I mean, look how clean living they are. Um, Mick Jagger is like a yoga loving, um, eats no meat, I think. But you know their lifestyles now he is versus now, you know, yeah. like it wasn't always that way. Was it? Yeah, it's the first time the Rolling Stones and clean living have been included in the exactly, same sentence. Yeah. Well done, Adele. Thank you very much for this. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, I, I guess it's you know we've been talking about a lot of about the artists here but I guess the you know the climate we live in is changing reasonably dramatically right so the things for live events must be much more about external sources of of issues being sort of created obviously the the event that in Manchester with the bombing that took place is this the type of insurance that would be covering people for that type of risk and how are we even predicting or uh, accounting for that type of risk within this, these types of policies? I think um, after September the 11th, uh, most contingency insurances had a terrorism exclusion. So I would say that most major events, uh, the promoters looking to include um, delays caused by terrorism, and there doesn't have to be an actual incident for it to affect your show. It could be in and around your show. It could be a major incident the night before. It could be an incident that occurs a couple of months, but at the venue of your choice. So 
Um, I would say that uh, including terrorism as a uh, insured element is done on pretty much most major shows. So if I, so if I had a, got to a bit of terrorist incident at a venue I was going to appear at and that venue no longer exists... Does that? How does that then affect the artist or the the promoter putting on that tour? They'll they'll relocate. They'll right. depending on time, it will be relocated. It could be rescheduled. Um, you know, the, the popularity of that artist is going to determine whether or not it, it goes somewhere else. I I think um, after some um, uh, tragic terrorism events, there have been other events that have taken place or scheduled to take place, and those bands made the moral decision that it wasn't right to hold a show within. In 24 hours and um, and the market insurance market's pretty um, cool about that they get it and that's where grey really works because they understand that commercially that's the right thing to do and in that in that sense where the moral decision is the correct decision does the insurance company then pay out I think insurers are very close to brokers and clients and um, this is where the relationship is essential and key um, you don't shop around uh, yeah, yeah. for uh, for these. You've got to. You only work with someone you trust, and um, we would only ever recommend insurance markets that we're certain of their behaviour when it comes to claims. And would you be consulted in that process before they make the pos- postpone the concert going forward, or not? So, so, so ordinarily, what you would have is within and I don't want to get too technical and, and crash the mood um, but I'm going to um, <laughs> so usually what you would have is you would have a, a, a public perception endorsement um, right. within the policy which effectively states the territorial limits so not at your venue but a a catastrophe and it doesn't need to be terrorism yeah. happens um, within a set geographical area so let's just say the UK and UK and Ireland effectively within a, a seven day window around your event catastrophe so like so earthquake loss of terrorism life, involving multiple loss Brexit, of life that yeah, of Brexit would yep. be a good, a good one although hopefully not involving multiple loss of life um, Open to debate. Um, so, in effect, it's clear within the policy. So, it would it would trigger under the public perception endorsement. So, you know, what's important here, and I guess this comes back to the the work that the broker does, is making sure that those types of aspects are taken into account when you're negotiating with the yeah. insurance market. So, it's eyes wide open, as you'd expect because of its specialty, because of its nature of what you're buying, this isn't a comparison site type transaction. This is a relationship driven. We understand the industry. We understand the risks that we're writing specifically. We have all the factors that could be taken into account and we've agreed collectively what the right thing is for you. Yeah, absolutely. So the flip side of that then is what happens or is there a level of fraud in the industry? No. I'm just asking. (laughs) Not at JLT or any of our clients. But from a, but is there does does fraud take place in this marketplace then for events that get cancelled because oh, I just can't get out of bed today or I'm a little bit tired or I've got something El- Elton John to, pretending to have an earache tantrums and tiaras yeah. I didn't see he was pretending I just he had an earache okay fine. I I think you've got to be clear about what the cause of the scenario and. There's a a pretty onerous burden of proof um, in terms of that type of scenario. So you have to be able to demonstrate medically that there was a clear reason why you were unable to appear or unable to I'm not going to mention him again, but there was a case recently with a fellow you may have mentioned once or twice already that went to court for this exact reason, wasn't there? Yeah. That's what I read in the news. Yes. Um, so I don't know how true it was, but I believe, yes, uh, he was, it's claimed that he was taking Lloyd's to court. Um, but I, um, I believe then that 
uh, became a vice versa scenario. And then I also believe it was settled. Agreed. Agreed. Sorry, I don't know this. Who took who to court? <laughs> I'm not saying. That. Oh, okay. man, you, you can't hurt me for trying, right? So, so, so I guess, Alec, the next sort of logical step on this one after the events is sporting. So, like, sporting events are getting bigger and bigger, and everything that we're seeing, whether it be you know big championships that we're sort of seeing, or just day to day sort of Premiership football type stuff. So, is this affecting that? And I guess in there, you're seeing both key men and women doing these things, as well as the events being covered themselves. That's quite a question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's a distinction here when you're talking about e- event cancellation and the, the distinction when you're talking about sports is if it's replayable. So if it, taking your example of a, of a Premier League game, then then generally speaking, there isn't really a, a loss associated. Mm-hmm. There may be a, a minimal one, but, yeah. but generally speaking, with the sums of money involved, it is very minimal and it's going to be replayed next Wednesday sure. or, or next Tuesday or whatever it might be. So not really insurable, not really worth insuring... Uh, not really worth insuring. I mean, you get the odd scenario. So Manchester United had a situation going back a couple of years um, where very ironically, somebody who was running um, a, a sort of terrorist response type instance, so a consultant who was helping them run an evacuation around a, a sort of a, a dummy terrorist incident, left um, a dummy bomb hanging this. on yeah, the back of a toilet yeah, door. Yeah. And, the, and the ground had to be evacuated sort of half an hour before kickoff. Everything had to be shut down and cooled off. Um, but the actual, the, the actual financial exposure associated associated with that sort of incident is minimal because they played again a couple of a couple of days later. Mm, yeah. So if it's replayable, if it's the league, um, then you're you're probably okay. So so where our services are called upon really in terms of the kind of one-off events, so one-off global sporting events that that can't be replayed or, or certainly can't or... be. Boxing matches are really is a really good example, and then the, the sort of major global events, so uh, you know, world championships, world cups. Now, whilst they happen every two years or every four years, they can't be replayed in the same sense that, that you would find because the window of opportunity for holding those types of events for lots of different reasons is is very small. So, generally speaking, that's where that's where the services we provide are called upon. And, and it's very similar to, to live events and, mm. and live concert events in terms of the risks those sorts well, of I, events. I know Dave was a boxing fan because I followed your Twitter feed when Tyson Fury was fighting and it was fascinating. <laughs> man, I took a lot of abuse from I the t- Americans, I didn't was going to say, <laughs> it, was a, it was a tough fight. I mean, but any man who get up in the 12th, 12th round is quite impressive full stop. But how would you go, how do you even go about Starting an insurance policy around a boxing match. Well, well, broadly speaking, it's it's similar. So if you if you look at the Anthony Joshua fights, for example, awesome then, then that is that's largely akin to a to a major concert event or any other major sporting event. You've got eighty thousand people inside a huge arena who've all come to see an individual perform. If you if you take boxing in isolation, then the challenge with boxing is that it's predicated on two individuals showing up on the night yeah. and being able to box. And both of these guys are training hell for leather for anything from sort of 12 weeks out from a, from a bout. So then we ruled out, by the way, David, we're not right. doing that ever. Fine. The non-appearance risk is the, is, is the huge one when you're, when you're talking about boxing because you only need to break a finger yeah. and hey presto you've brought the whole event crashing down around your ears effectively and it's amazing how frequently that actually happens isn't yep. it so and and i guess the you know the ability to do a you know postpone it by a few weeks or like is completely out the window when somebody's been training for a year to get to a day um so it's very different isn't it but how i guess in the sporting context is it very similar to the you know the um sort of death and disgrace insurance when you're looking more on a individualistic perspective so you know cristiano ronaldo's left 
thigh or whatever? Like, do we sort of get down to that level of detail or is it less specific than that? Uh, there's probably a line of distinction between an event. So if Real Madrid can't play, or Juventus more relevantly now, um, if they can't play in the Champions League final mm. because Ronaldo is injured, then hey, the event's still going ahead. Sure. So when you're talking about a team sport, it's probably less relevant. Mm. The, the area that you're, that you're probably touching upon there is, is what we call personal accident insurance, sure. where an individual player seeks to protect their lost future earnings in the event that they can never play the game again, or the club that effectively own the rights to the player seek to protect either the asset value of the player. So if we lose him, we've lost a potential resale value of £100 million, or they seek to protect the wage roll exposure. So if we lose him for six for six months, then if you're talking about the top leagues in Europe, that's a lot of Wait, that's a lot of money lying on the treatment table. Effectively, yeah, there's a load of issues in that whole thing. You went through like seven or eight different things. I think all at once there. So let's assume I'm a great footballer. I'm not, and I break my toe. How is that? Me as my as the individual insuring my toe, or me as an individual saying I'm still going to get paid, so I'm not going to do my other key man or my accident at work and I can't work ever again or whatever else it might be all the way through to the club for its loss of earnings, through to its position it might get to in the overall league going forward. Mm -hmm. There was like a whole load of covers all at once there, wasn't there? So quite, yeah, quite a complicated um, range of potential scenarios. But in, in really simplistic terms, if you're a player, then the risk you're most concerned about is sustaining an injury of enough severity yeah. that you can never play again. Okay. So in effect, you, you look at your future earnings. So if you're 21 years old, that's you know, potentially a lot of years at the top of the game where you won't be earning mm. Who buys that? Because the player themselves so buy the that. the player themselves will buy that. And that's called player's own benefit insurance. And, and I think there have been circumstances, I know I'm a Norwich City fan, but there's been circumstances where people have been away on like England duty and have injured themselves during like non-club activity. And it's interesting to see how people cover themselves for those those types of things because at no fault of a, the club or anything else, somebody will go and injure themselves and then all of that investment has gone to waste, isn't it? Yeah, so there's, there's a line of distinction. So, so per, we, we call it personal accident insurance. So personal accident insurance isn't determined by by negligence or by liability triggers mm. in the same way that public liability, sure. for example, would be. So it, it's incredibly simplistic. The player covers their potential lost future mm. earnings and then the club which own the rights to the player cover the asset, asset value of yeah. the player if they yeah. choose to do so yeah, yeah. or they cover and or they can cover the wage roll exposure and then allied to that you have what's just to confuse things a little bit more because I can see that it's starting to glaze over a little bit so. I'm, 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 I'm fascinated <laughs> by the whole thing but allied to that you have what's called catastrophe insurance so if we go back a couple of years um, to the, the, the tragedy in Brazil where yeah. the, the plane crashed and, and almost an entire um, football team was wiped out overnight, then clubs will look at that and they will say, well, hey, you know, we're in a unique position where all of our major assets of a business are usually at a training ground, in a football stadium, on a coach or on a plane, all together for a significant proportion of the, of the year. So notionally, if that were to happen to us, what would what would it cost us to start again from scratch? And when you look at where player values and where player salaries have gone over the course of the last ten years, that's a very meaningful number. The start again number is a very is a very meaningful number. Yeah. So what what's prize indemnity then? So this is, I guess, the last one of these to talk about. What 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 does that mean, sort of in detail? Um, so it's insuring the prize. It's exactly what it says on the tin. Um, what, so like the purse? Uh, 
so boxing it, game or like the depends, World Cup trophy? or So one example um, uh, we've been looking at is lottery, piggyback lottery. So you have the national lottery, you win what um, you put in. Yeah. And um, there are lotteries that piggyback off that. They're all online and you... Um, buy it. it allows you to buy a ticket for any lottery anywhere in the world. So um, those uh, are insured. Nine times out of ten, those will be insured. Um, and those online businesses are buying insurance against um, you winning the lottery. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So they're betting against the chances of you winning the lottery in the first yeah. place. It's the only way they could absolutely cover the risks because when some of the prizes are 40, 50, 60 million, there's no way they're going to get that amount of income through um, tickets sold alone. So, yes, and the market loves that sort of thing. I'm now so, glazing over. Hang on. Hang on. So, wait. So, <laughs> so there's no longer a thanks. pot that money doesn't exist. No. They're hoping you don't ever win it's it. It's an insurance no, pot no. and it'll just act against you. But the, the, the ironic thing is that the online lotteries they want you to win it's um, a major PR uh, yeah. for them so they absolutely love paying they're prizes. not going to sell it to you saying buy our ticket you're never going to win they're always going to say buy a ticket because you are going to win but but to your point though if somebody wins it it's PR that it's possible it's right? absolutely uh, mega yeah I'm thinking Reader's Digest check at the end of the door you know you've <laughs> won it congratulations Mrs Smith from Norwich can you know well done well done Mrs Smith is that Delia Oh, must be. Wow. Well done. Nice well done, Delia. Nice. I hope she rolls all of that money back into Norwich City. All that's all I can say. So, so where are we, I guess, going with this? You know, like the what does the future hold? So, from a technological perspective, it kind of feels like these things are becoming, you know, more and more under the microscope because of much more connectivity day to day. So, where do you see the future of this going? So we um, we think this is where data and analytics could be amazing for our industry. And we also think that contingencies traditionally been um, used for the sports, the entertainment, the media industry. But we think it can be used in so many more ways because traditional insurance is constantly being challenged for not being innovative enough and, you know, not being up to the job. And so taking contingency insurance and understanding what the risk is to either a building project or a... Um, I can't think of anything else, but (laughs) we just think it can be brought to, so even the marine industry. So um, we've seen haulage and salvage, um, major projects with big, big budgets attached to them and being able to use the contingency insurance to protect the unforeseeable and the budget increasing. So where where would you put these types of covers against the more traditional aviations or marine? Are they leading edge? Are they always been around are they have they evolved much as products over the last couple of years do you know what i I think you uh I think the contingency world will listen to almost any risk as long as you can articulate what the um, the risk is and what precautions are put in place to avoid a potential loss. It, but it comes back to the clients and what do they want. And so something we've been looking at and we're really excited and I thought, wow, everybody will want it, was reputation insurance. And we thought for the aviation industry, it would be a must have. But the aviation industry, um, their profit, it's uh, flux from one year to the next yeah, yeah. and they buy compulsory insurance. So a lot of their budget goes on what they must have. So having the nice to have just isn't affordable. So we think um, that if industries come to us, we th- um, we're pretty sure that the contingency industry will be able to build almost any solution around what the client's risk is, but the client's got to want it in the first place. Mm. But this is, and I was going to ask you at the very beginning, kind of the role of a broker and why brokers exist in the first place. And I think you've eloquently highlighted together 
you can't do this stuff online. You can't go on to Google or wherever else and go, tick, 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 give me a cover for cancelling my event next week for 90,000 people because I've got a sore throat. This has to be relationship-driven, true understanding of the industry, the type of covers, whatever else. Where are you guys? I mean, it's a loaded question. Apologies, right? But where are you guys on this? What is, what is the role of the broker today? And importantly, is this something that's going to be disintermediated or disrupted by technology to David's question later on? Or is this always going to be around? I think insurance is complicated. And I think anyone who's in business knows what they want to achieve. And insurance is just one element to them. And it's our job to simplify it and make it easy and make it work. And I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's going to be disrupted by technology. I think it's going to be enhanced by technology. Um, you know, from our, from our perspective, you know, we sit on the fence. So with a with a middleman, if that's the best way of, of putting it effectively, but we're or here woman. to represent our or woman. We're here to represent our, our clients' interests fundamentally and, and what technology and what analytics will do, they'll be able to help us predict far more accurately what the future looks like. We'll never be able to say 100% this is what's going to happen to you in in six months' time. But if we can help clients understand the chance of something happening to them in the future, yeah, yeah. then then that helps mm. massively elevates the, client's, the client conversation. But conversely, if we can help insurers understand what is likely to happen in the future, mm. then that hugely moves the needle for us in what is quite a unique and bespoke space. And I, and I guess, you know, many insurances are moving through, um, you know, the accumulation of different types of data, being able to move into sort of preventative measures as much as, um, you know, actually fixing the problem when it happens type thing. So, you know, Kanye's going mental on Twitter like two months before it. Like how much different data sources can you pull in to start actually, you know, being able to try and mitigate some of the risk in these things. It, it feels like there's opportunities there, right? Yeah, there's definitely opportunity. But I think the best data is always going to be the client data. Sure. And so we're definitely not talking big data because I think you can get too carried away and you, it can tell too many stories. So I think what one risk, t- what a client, one client considers to be a risk, a client a p- in their peer group may consider yeah. not to be a risk. So- I, I think you have two wacky scenarios, right? So wacky scenario one how often would you tell an artist, back to our live events, how often would you tell an artist to go, you're, you're next about to appear in Pittsburgh. Uh, the, for the last two weeks, everyone's, everyone's been searching on Google for symptoms of a cold. You know there's a high chance of them getting a cold or a fever if they go there. Would you ever go in there and say, don't go to that city because everyone's got a cold at the moment? Am I just losing it completely? Uh, yeah. It's, thank God the role of the broker still exists. <laughs> <laughs> and then this, but this, okay, so this wacky scenario number two, Back to your point about football players or sports individuals who now all wear heart monitoring and everything else that they do during training. You see all the guys talking about the benefit of technology. You look at Sir Clive Woodward, they do with the rugby teams and everything else. How we know what's going on in the athlete's body before they even do mm-hmm. is fascinating. I'm assuming it's not the sort of data that they give you access to. No, and we don't we don't want that data, well, do we? Wearable technology is interesting. Probably more, it's more relevant uh, from the from a personal accident perspective. It, it's interesting. Has has the insurance act- market actually been able to tie that data back to 
sort of almost client-specific pricing. I'd argue it, it, it probably hasn't, but it, it's certainly an area of interest. If you can very quickly identify that certain individuals are being overworked or certain positions are, are more susceptible to certain types of injuries, yeah. then there's an argument there that what the future will probably look like in that space is, is almost flexible pricing that but, says, well, if you play in that position or you're that age or if you run for 12 kilometres a game rather than six, then the price is... This. Or don't play a game for 90 minutes because actually you're, you're at 80% performance. You've got a low iron count today. Therefore, hey, I'm, I'm a Watford guy. Hey, Troy Dini, just do the first half, not the second half. I guess it's different if you're boxing. You get punched in the face regardless. So I'm not sure how you <laughs> fix that. Yeah, for me, there's a clear distinction there. So we exist to remove the risk and to enable the client to do what they need to do. That, for me, takes the conversation too far in the other direction where we're almost dictating to a team in a competitive environment what they should or shouldn't be doing. That's why they spend millions of pounds on a medical team yeah, every yeah. year to Very take true. those types of decisions. And it's always balance of risk, isn't it? Managers saying this, medical team saying that, and you, you, take, the, you take the balance You take decision. the call whether they go on or not, right? Yeah. I, I could ask you questions all day, I'm sure. I think David's in the same boat. I've I got one more before I'm sure we're, we're wrapping up. What is the wackiest and weirdest thing you've been asked to ensure? And you don't have to name it if you don't want to, or you can't. Cool. We talked about Madonna's boobs. We talked about Ronnie, Ron, Ronaldino. Yeah, all of the legs, all of the Ronnie's. arms, ankles. Uh, so yeah, this is this is going back a little while. Um, we had an individual who was um, arranging a cruise um, over in the in the Caribbean, um, and the twist of the cruise was that it was an Elvis tribute cruise so everyone was going to turn up for this thing dressed as elvis as, as somebody who's never been a fan of cruises um that doesn't enormously appeal to me full stop but the idea of being surrounded by people dressed as elvis even less so uh -huh. um the huge marketing ploy here was that this guy um turned around and says hey look if you book now six months out from the cruise um if elvis reappears before the cruise takes place then effectively we will refund your, your booking fee. Wow. Um, so the guys who were financing him, in all seriousness, then turned around and said, but you're hugely exposed if Elvis reappears. So he came <laughs> to the contingency market and said, hey guys, you know, this is, this is the risk. Um, is this insurable? To which the answer was, of course it is. <laughs> so we, we have to ask, did he turn up? Uh, no. Okay. No. Oh well, that's very disappointing. Did they take the insurance? Uh, no, they didn't. In right, the end, okay. they didn't. I think it's, I think the financiers eventually um, <laughs> has had a quiet word with themselves. Surely, the note was, was a little less conversation and straight back to them. I, I like risk averse people, given the industry I work in. But that is probably a little bit too risk averse, even for me. I think it's fair. Blimey. To say. Super Adele, impressive. Anything to add to that? No, I can't top that. I once got asked um, to insure. Um, uh, vehicle that they were hiring and then crashed it into the wall and then rang and said how do we claim for prop damage so more idiotic questions than i can't top that james nice all right well i think we've done pretty good there we've gone from kanye to madonna to elvis so Kylie, Elton. Yeah, like i know this is the most celebrity laden episode of insurtech insider ever so on that note i think we'll probably wrap up this so um okay well we're can guys find a little bit more about you? So, James, where can people find out more? Uh, so, laughably, um, we were talking earlier on about my presence on Twitter. I have 
two followers. <laughs> <laughs> so I am not giving out my Twitter Make handle and haven't, and haven't for 10 years. Um, so yeah, usual channels. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's via, via GLT, GLT website. And I'm, I'm, there, on, I'm there on LinkedIn um, with a huge amount of, of connections in the good. sports and entertainment space. Sounds good. And likewise, yeah, LinkedIn, JLT. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Sounds good. And Nigel, where can people find you as always? Both of my followers are on Nigel Walsh at twitter.com. <laughs> are they in the room? Uh, I'm afraid so. <laughs> All right. And you can find me at David Breer on Twitter. And that's it for this week's episode thanks to all of our guests as always you can find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook if you want to go and search for us on InsureTech Insider if you like what you've heard this week don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a review we really love reading those reviews um, if you have any suggestions or feedback please reach out to us on Twitter or email us at podcast at 11fs.com thank you very much <laughs>